Hello, and welcome to Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. And the opinions on this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent the opinion of Branches. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Root for Each Other. My name is Sarah Blevins and I am the Director of Development at Branches Domestic Violence Shelter and this is our podcast which we used to talk about all the different facets of domestic violence and today we have a very special episode in which we're going to focus on a topic that we get asked about all the time, pets and domestic violence. And to have that conversation, I have with me two of my greatest colleagues one is um, Susie. She is our uh, Cavill Shelter Advocate. Hi, Susie. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm also here with our colleague, Darian, uh, who and both of these girls are also just pet lovers. So that I think that adds a lot of expertise. Thank you for being here, Darian. Thanks for having me. We get asked about pets all the time. We get, you know, what is the connection? And so I think we were just one of the things that we could do is to just open up and talk about how animal abuse and domestic violence is related. And your experience, how is it related? I would say it's very intimately related. Uh, you know, animal abuse and domestic violence really go hand in hand a lot of times. It's a tactic of power and control that the abuser will use over the partner, uh, whether it's threatening the animal. Um, or, you know, trying to coerce the, the partner into doing something because of like actual harm done to the animals. It's something that we do hear a lot about from our survivors. Um, you know, harming the animal increases the fear in their partner to make it clear what that abuser is capable of. And, you know, just like we see with our clients who have children, a lot of times they will wait to leave the home for fear of, you know, not being able to bring the animal along, uh, you know, what could happen if the pet has to stay even for a temporary time. A lot of them, we refer to them as our fur babies. So we don't want to leave them behind just like we wouldn't want to leave our kids behind. So Exactly. I think that there is an element here of vulnerability. Animals are, are as vulnerable as children, vulnerable as, I mean, everybody else. <laughs> so I think that um, that makes them an easy target for abusers. Oh yeah, for sure. I also think that um, there's a lot more like legal things put in place, obviously through like custody arrangements, um, that kind of thing for children, whereas they, there just isn't for pets in West Virginia. If you, you can include pets in a DVP, which is a benefit. Um, however, not all states have that. I think that it um, sometimes can be a crime that can go unnoticed or it has the least ramifications in that way. I, I don't want to say that pets and children are the same, but we still need to have those legal protections for animals. Uh, very thankful that uh, pets can be included in a DVP in this state. I can't imagine working in a shelter in a state that it was not included. I mean, I'm sure you guys can attest to this. We talk to so many people that when we talk to them, if they're are not accommodations for their pets, if we're not including pets in the safety planning, then they're just not going to leave. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, we've, we've all seen it 
with our clients for sure. And I know it's personally, it's one of the things I think of. I have four pets and I mean, they range in size from 25 pounds to 140 pounds. Uh, it uh, it'd definitely be something that you have to plan for and consider if you'd have to, whenever you have to flee a situation. I think that that's a really important, like sort of line of thought that we could follow, which is like, how do these victimizations overlap? And I think that the overlap is in the power and control. It definitely is about power and control. I mean, in our domestic violence advocacy, we oftentimes refer to that power and control wheel to show different types of, um, you know, abuse and manipulation. And our pets are a source of comfort to the survivors of domestic violence. However, um, abusive people often exploit those bonds, any, any sort of bond of something that's important to victim survivor, um, an abusive person's going to, you know, manipulate control, do whatever they can to punish those victims, um, create that fear and control Mm -hmm. to, you know, get, get the victim survivor to ultimately do whatever they want to do, want them to do. Sorry. Uh, One thing that I think is important to include or to think about is that there is an overlap in lethality here too. So an abuser is capable of, of harming to a pet, a pet to the point of lethality, then they are capable of harming a human to the point of lethality. And it becomes like a, a really strong indicator that the violence in that relationship is escalating. I don't know if that matches what you guys have experienced in the past um, or seen in the victims that you serve, but I think it's, um, I think anytime that I've ever heard a story about a victim explaining that something had happened to their pets, that is a situation in which the violence was dramatically escalating. Yeah, it is something that we ask clients about whenever we're filling out their paperwork for any sort of referrals um, or a DVP, something like that. Um, You know, animal abuse often comes up and a lot of times you can see a light bulb go off in, in their minds. I mean, they don't typically think of their abuser hurting the animal as a way to control them, but then you break that down for them and they're like, Oh, well, you know, he did do this or she did do that. Um, and you get them to talk. And a lot of times, unfortunately, scenarios of animal abuse do come out and you put that together for them. And it does help them see the seriousness of what they've escaped. Would you guys categorize animal abuse, animal cruelty in relation to domestic violence as a public health concern? For sure. Um, it's they're both definitely public health concerns. I think the topic of public health, especially in recent years, has been kind of a hot button phrase. And me being me, just liking the definitions of things, I, I looked it up and, you know, the CDC defines public health as the science of protecting and improving the health of people in their communities. And that topic is concerned with protecting the health of entire populations you know, something as small as a local neighborhood or as big as an entire country or region or the whole world. And with what we've already talked about so far with, you know, the intersections of domestic violence and animal abuse, I would say they're for sure both public health issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think actually the overlap is so strong that it would be silly to dismiss one or the other. Yeah, for sure. When I was doing some research into this subject, 
I saw um, a statistic talking about that the police departments, on average, only one-fifth of officers reported having any training in animal cruelty, and more than half of those were not able to, to list a number of charges specific to animal cruelty, uh, which was pretty disturbing to find out. Also, I just think if you're tracking one, you should see the evidence of the other. Like if we did a better job of tracking animal abuse, you would also see that intimate partner violence. Uh, I see what you're saying. I think it's very likely that you would you would see a correlation between the two, at like a, maybe a would the word be like a comorbidity of, of the two? Exactly. I can't help but agree. We've talked a lot already about how pets are victims in domestic violence situations, but I think there's also a perspective that we should consider the value of them after the victim has left the situation. I I think that one of the things that I have found pets as companions and as sources of therapeutic comfort are incredibly important to our survivors. Oh yeah, for sure. That's something if, if a pet comes up in a conversation I have with a client, you know, we're on, we're on a good ground there. Everybody's going to feel more comfortable talking. And then as we talk, you know, we just, I mean, we're not therapists or anything, but, you know, just on like an advocate level, like, you know, so what do you and your pet do? Uh, Something as simple as like, oh, well, me and me and my dog Ernie are going to watch TV or go for a walk, or it's nice to have somebody in the car with me while I drive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just not feeling alone. That was a really long winded way of (laughs) of explaining it. But you're feeling so isolated as a victim survivor of domestic violence. This person that you trust or you you trusted and you thought would never hurt you. And um, very frequently loved. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, having gotten out of that situation, you are really shook to your core. So having something as pure as a pet, just to be there as your companion, to talk to, sing to, I'm sure my animals love my horrible singing voice, you know, (laughs) whatever. It's just, they are so therapeutic. I think when we think about how pets operate as a social uh, tool as well, like we just, if you bring up pets, in the in a conversation, people just light up. They want to talk about their pets. They want like to see pictures of your cats. That I, no matter what the situation, and so I think that that creates a vehicle for reaching out to and connecting with survivors. I I remember distinctly that I worked with a survivor who, after she escaped her abuse situation, she went out and got a very large dog. The dog was the sweetest dog in the world, but it made her feel safe to have a very large dog that was with her all the time. It's, it's that um, I would, I would be interested in doing a study of how many survivors say that their pets offer a reduction in fear. I think maybe something that's a real frustration for advocates sometimes is that sometimes we can be really hindered in what we can do to directly help and support pets. You know, we have to be considerate of the safety of everyone in the shelter, which creates kind of a problem. Susie, how do you see that playing out since you're in the shelter most of the time? I would definitely say that at least once a week, I'm taking a phone call um, of a survivor with a pet. It's every scenario is a little different. Mm -hmm. Uh, It still is a a problem with in shelter, obviously things like allergies, pets, we have limited space for people. So then we add pets into the mix. 
it's hard when they may not also get along with one another. There's also significant health regulations that don't allow us to include pets in the shelter. I mean, that's just a fact. We, we can't operate and, and have pets in the shelter, which is frustrating. So we have come up with, you know, a number of solutions to help address that. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting and exciting that we're seeing solutions pop up across the country. One of those solutions that I love to talk about is that there is a volunteer opportunity for folks to foster pets in DV situations while their owner is in the shelter. That is something that we um, have talked about for a long time. The logistics of it are incredibly complicated. <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine. One of my favorite examples is it's been a hundred years ago now, but we had a client that had an emotional support hot belly pig and they were very lucky to find a farm that was willing to take in the pig uh, because this, this was a, a 300 plus pound animal that was not going to, to be in I our I forgot shelter. that it wasn't a miniature pig. I forgot. I'm so envious that I did not have to stop by that day to, to visit this pig. We always try to find the, the sunny spot, you know, I mean, yeah. Talking with our clients about their pets, their kids. um. Even if it's a pot belly pig, that's a win. We found someone to take care of that pig and that person got into safety. That is a win. We count that as a win at the end of the day. It is a double win. We affected the person and the piggy. Yeah, exactly. And really that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is we want to protect all of the people that we serve and their pets, and anyone else that might be in danger. You know, another solution that we see is that even if we can't do direct fosters or have pets in the shelter, we can provide referrals and resources for uh, care, for pet care. Susie, you had an experience with that recently, right? Yeah, we're very lucky to have uh, Harmony House, um, who has a program with uh, the Cabell Wayne Animal Shelter locally, and they have like a vet clinic that they do, I think it's on a monthly basis and they invite our clients to come over. They, they do like flea and tick medicine. Um, they do their basic shots and just get, get kind of a, a checkup. Um, it's been a really great resource for us. I didn't really know much about that until you guys were telling me about it earlier. As with all advocacy, it seems like that when we're talking about pets, we just have to get creative with our solutions. At the end of the day, I think what we have to do when we're considering pets is to make sure that they're in the safety plans that we do. What does a typical safety plan look like for you guys? I'm going to just say my favorite answer. It depends because they're all personalized. It really does depend. I mean, we have to take into consideration every aspect of our survivor's life. You know, do they, is it just them? Do they have kids? Do they have transportation? You know, where are there, are there any legal matters? Where are they? Does the abuser work or is the abuser at home all the time? Does the abuser have transportation? You know, and with all that, we include pets, you know, whenever a safety plan might start, depending on whenever we get in contact with somebody, it could be when they're trying to plan to leave it could be after they've already left, like they could be safely in shelter. They could be only staying with a friend or family member for a temporary time. So it's really difficult to just, you know, say what a safety plan typically looks like, because it's not, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. And it definitely shouldn't be. Right. It has to be very individualized. Yeah. What are some suggestions that you might make 
for someone with pets in a safety plan? The first thing that comes to my mind would just be be honest with your advocate. Everything that you say with your advocate is going to be confidential between the two of you all, barring like any crazy sorts of threats or abuse or anything like that. But that aside, bring them up, ask your advocate, have that conversation. If the advocate doesn't know that you're concerned about your pet, we don't know to even bring it up or to try to come up with a solution. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So definitely first thing, bring it up. Don't be, don't be afraid to be honest with, with your advocate. Um, And that's, that's a hard thing to go from walking on eggshells, being afraid of anything you say or do could cause somebody to lash out. That's something as advocates, we, we have to do, we have to get our clients comfortable with us, help them trust us. And from there, you know, I encourage, definitely encourage anybody just to bring it up. Nothing is silly or crazy whenever we're coming up, like trying to create your safety plan. Mm-hmm. So one of the stories that I remember very vividly is that I remember that there was a case, I think it was in Putnam County of a client who they had called law enforcement to get an escort back to their abuser's home to collect some of their things. And I remember very distinctly that this particular client was terrified that she was going to walk in and her pet was going to be harmed. She had to leave her pet. And I remember her saying that when she got there, the um, abuser had put the dog outside. It was very hot. It was chained up to a very like tight rope. It was kind of a, you know, it was definitely like an intimidation tactic to show her that like he could harm her. And I, re- I remember distinctly that the uh, law enforcement officer was very kind of moved or impressed, impressed is not the right word, moved by that situation. And they ended up actually getting the dog out of that situation as well. So it's, it's so important to voice those concerns. If you have a concern about a pet, please make sure the advocate that's working with you knows. The one thing that I can say that I think we can all agree on is that at Branches, we really do believe that every member of the family deserves safety. And with that being said, I hope that you all go out and root for each other. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this very special episode of Root for Each Other. We are Branches Domestic Violence Shelter, and we've been serving the communities of Cabell, Wayne, Lincoln, Mason, and Putnam Counties for 41 years. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the Branches Hotline 24-7 at 304-529-2382. And hey, Sarah, guess what? What? Branches is proud to serve all. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Thanks, everybody. Go out and root for each other. Bye.